Bibles uh, with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This has been the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray, saints. Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, we pray uh, that your holy word would be uh, proclaimed. You humble our hearts to uh, know what you're saying, why you're saying it, and how you want it to apply to our lives as your people. We ask we would enjoy you, Jesus. Uh, we pray uh, that you would bind uh, lies, apathy, um, anything that can hinder uh, your purposes. By your grace, we pray uh, that if there's something I'm saying that's not true, you'll strike it down. Uh, would not um, build seeds in people's hearts, and that only your truth. Only the purity of the gospel uh, would, would sink deep, would bring forth life change. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, family. All righty. Colossians 1, uh, 24 through 29. Um, and, and then we'll be hitting chapter 2. Um, if you are new to MacGab, what we do is we teach uh, books of the Bible. Right now we're in Colossians um, you're, you're on uh, fast-moving trains. Hopefully you can just grab hold and, and uh, hopefully you enjoy what the Lord is uh, doing uh, through his truth. Uh, we've, just seen, we've just seen Paul make so much of Christ, exalting Christ, uh, trying to help us understand God's preeminence, God's supremacy, our place in that. Um, showing, we looked last week at um, who we were before God, uh, what God has done and why he's done it. And then... Um, Centered around being motivated by grace because he couldn't allows us to be holy, blameless, uh, perfect, um, not because of what we do, but because he allows us to have faith in him. And then God actually makes us new people. Uh, and then we hit here. Uh, this is Paul. I'm jumping right into um, what does his ministry look like, the passion of his ministry, uh, which I want us to pay a clear, a lot of attention to this. And what I've tried to do here, and usually I'll just sort of have a few notes um, and talk a lot. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a lot of lo- notes and talk a lot. Um, so y'all was, y'all was like, oh, talk less? No, 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 no. You still get a lot of talk. But hopefully it'll make more sense um, as I've been encouraged by uh, my family. I uh, love you guys. And just how do I make sure that we're communicating clearly um, what God is saying? And I want to make sure that we leave here understanding more and not just me saying a lot of stuff. Um, at the end of the day. So, 
Uh, Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Let's get to work, guys. I hope you got, if you can turn on the back of, well, I don't know, if you can write on your notes, uh, write your notes on your program. Hopefully you got a notebook. Um, we gave you guys a whole packet that you can be um, jotting things down. I don't even know if we still have some packets out there, so there's always a Colossians packet if you need one. Um, ask you to grab that, but we're going to jump right in and get to the text. Okay, so here we are. Um, the text there, we're going to start with verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, uh-oh, uh, and, in the, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. So we start off with a doozy of a, of a verse here, because there's a, there's a main part here that you're probably going, what does that mean? I mean, what in the world does it mean, um, rejoice in my sufferings for uh, your sake, um, and in my flesh, it says, and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So what does fill up what is lacking mean? Um, you think of that. I mean, so, okay, Jesus dies. He pays uh, the most beautiful sacrifice for all of us to make us his people. But then it says that there's something lacking here. And we're going, what? wait a minute. How could there be something lacking in the gospel? Right? How could, I mean, when we look at the, uh, the efficacy of what Jesus has done, it's full and complete. Uh, there can be nothing that's actually wanting. There's, a, there's something that, 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 we, that he didn't do that we're supposed to fulfill. So you can start going down those trails. Um, I would say absolutely not. But this passage actually speaks to what he wants us to be about as his people, right? So I would say that's not the case. Um, what is lacking, guys, is that the infinite value of Christ's afflictions are not known in the world. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Let's keep going. So his infinite, so the value of what, what happened at the cross um, happened in history, and many people saw it, but everybody didn't see it, and everybody didn't experience the narrative. Everybody didn't experience the redemptive story. The afflictions are lacking in the sense that they are not seen and known among the nations and individuals. So although it's a reality, the question is, um, how does Christ help everybody understand the, the, um, uh, the majesty, the bigness of what happened at Calvary? How does Christ do that? How does he, how does he almost draw people from 2012 all the way back uh, to the, the, the beginnings of the first century and say, see, you see cross up there? You see what he's done for you? Because that's his goal. How does he do it? How does he bring each person to that point where we get it? And we go, look what the Savior did for me. That's the goal. Well, I propose we carry these sufferings and then we offer them to others to carry. That what, what, what Paul is saying here is he's saying the way that, that Jesus actually demonstrates uh, the cross is through us. And that what he allows, he allows basically us to have sufferings and that we carry to others who see our sufferings and then they get Christ, and then they carry those sufferings to others. I'm going to unpack this. Keep sticking with me. Look what he says here. Uh, to prove it in Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30, uh, just to help you understand like, where I'm going. Look what it says in the scriptures. We're talking about a guy, um, Epaphroditus, um, and we're going to see sort of the same terminology, and that's why it seems to be fitting to use this text here. This is what theologians usually use to try to bring out um, the truth of Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 25. And that is uh, this concept of, of, of making something that's, that's incomplete, per, complete, and specifically afflictions, 
He says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. This is Paul talking, saying that, you know, I'm sending back to you um, your fellow worker, a guy that you sent to me. Uh, Epaphroditus was sent uh, to Rome to sort of bring Paul a gift uh, from the people of God. Okay, and so he comes in and look what he says here. He says, um, and your messenger and minister to my need. So they say, hey, you go and you send this stuff, you know, uh, this, this, this fellowship of love to Paul. And he goes and travels and it says in verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So when he got on the trip, he got sick. Verse 27, indeed, he was ill near to death. He almost died. This is on his way to send this gift to Paul. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, right? Uh, not only will I not receive the gift, right? Not, not will I not only be blessed by the people of God that I love, but man, a dude who's trying to bring it to me gets killed. That kind of bums you out, right? Verse 28, but I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. And that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. So when he gets back, make sure you show him some love because his brother's been through some stuff. And he says, look, notice this. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Does that sound similar? To complete what was lacking or to fill up <laughs> what was lacking. Sounds the same. It's the same context. You see that? Is that the same kind of verbiage? Is that in the same way that Epaphroditus was fulfilling what was lacking here, right? His life to complete what was lacking your service to me. So how was he lacking more service? Like they sent a gift. What's the point here? How, how, how are they lacking more service? Notice the same terminology here. Epaphroditus shows his love and those of the church through his sacrificial service. Okay. So what does he do? What Epaphroditus does to explain this is that him going and sending this gift to Paul, um, he's not only showing his love, uh, personal love to Paul, but he's actually representing a body of people. And that when he receives this, uh, when Paul receives this love, not only just him receiving the love, but even the way he receives the love communicates the intensity of that passion of that love. And so Paul is saying what's actually filled up through Epaphroditus is that he gets to actually see someone who actually cares for him. Is that actually just him seeing this man bring the stuff to him is what fills up what was lacking. It's because all throughout, when you look at the New Testament in the epistles, Paul is always talking about, I long to be with you. I long to see you. I wish you could come and bring this to me. His point is, it's not just getting stuff by UPS that blesses Paul. It's really when the people come and he's able to see the people and see what God is doing, that that fills up what is lacking. So what Epaphroditus was filling up was that he was actually almost a representation of the whole body that he misses so much. You get that? So what was lacking was Epaphroditus. He's like, man, I, I just want to see those people. And by seeing you, Epaphroditus, I see them. Especially by seeing you almost die to get something to me makes me know how much I'm loved by all of you. Sorry. So, when he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, 
that I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is his church. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus offers his suffering and he dies for the world. Okay, look at the term. Look at look at the, the parallel. And so what Jesus does is Jesus gets on a cross for all of us. He dies for the world and in dying for the world, he proclaims his love to the world. Okay, that's what Jesus does. Well, he does not give a historical account intimately, though, to each person. Okay, so although he dies for the world, he doesn't go to each one of us. And each one of us that become Christians, the way we became Christians wasn't where we were able to be either shot back to the first century or Jesus came to our room and said, let me replay to you the passion of the Christ. And that's why at some level, even when you watch the movie, the whole Mel Gibson movie, we get all like, oh, man. Uh, uh, and it's almost putting us back there. Well, actually, God is saying that's part of the role of the individual person who loves Jesus is to help people see what happened at the cross. Do them see the cross in our life? So he says, he says, you, you can't get a historical account. Jesus didn't go around and tell each person and show each person sort of like a pay, pay-per-view, big IMAX thing of like, here's what happened. Now receive me. He doesn't do that. But what he does, God intends for the afflictions of Christ to be presented to the world through the afflictions of his people. So the way people get the cross, the way people understand what Christ really did for the world is when they see people of God being little crosses. When you see people understanding the theology of suffering and just as joy, the Jesus took the cross with joy, we take our cross with joy. And then people see us do that and they go, man. Wow, okay. I see your cross, and your cross points to that cross, and now I want that cross. Because look what he did. It's so clear. The cross becomes clear because the cross is evident in our lives as we suffer for those who are even believers and those who don't know Jesus. Think about it. Practical example. Somebody gets hurt in our body. Um, you know, there's, there's pain in our body. You know, isn't it hard? You know, somebody dies. Say a, a baby dies in our body or something like that. Well, man, sometimes we could, we, could, we could really model the cross to people, right? We get nervous. We don't know what to do when that stuff happens, right? We love each other. But when there's urgent issues, we kind of get nervous. And sometimes we coil back. And we kind of go, well, I don't know if I should call. I don't know what I should, if I should send something. And, and we can be immobile. Um, but one of the ways we can actually show the cross is when we step in there. And we say, I'm, I'm here for you, for the believer. When, we, when, we're, when we're trying to dive in and we're trying to understand what happened, we're trying to show that sacrificial love, people see Jesus a little more. People go, man, they came. They were with me. They didn't know what to say and how to say it, but they stayed at my house all night. They didn't know what to do. In the same way, you, you're, we're neighboring, you're caring for people. And, and every time you invite them over, they, they give you an excuse and they stand you up. You don't dog them. You just keep saying, I'm going to invite them. You, you, you don't mute your gospel expression. You talk about Jesus. You talk about who he is to you, but you still love people. You still care for them, but you don't say, ah, to be, to be cool, I'm going to change who I am so you'll like me. You continue to be a gospel-centered person, full of Jesus, but inviting and caring and letting them know, hey, dude, I ain't hating, love you to death, but, I, but my, me and my family, we love the Lord. And after years and years and years, of them dogging you or saying, why are you always talking that Jesus stuff? They keep seeing the cross in your life. They keep seeing you sacrificially love, sacrificially pray for them. They keep seeing you inviting them over. They keep seeing how you care for others in the community. And all of a sudden they go, man, this Jesus you talk about, it's clear. Well, how? 
Man, I see, for 15 years I've been joking, making fun of you. And you still come around. You still come around. Christ has designed it, guys, that through rebirth, to have a personal presentation of his suffering to the world. That when he rebirths us, what he does, he says, you've been rebirthed now to have a a concept of you embracing suffering and bringing that to the world. Of embracing the hardship of what does it mean to follow Jesus. This is kind of hard for us, right? Because some of us want to be super comfortable. We couldn't even imagine if I brought this discussion all the way to the point of, will you die for Jesus? We're not even nowhere near there. I mean, we are. But I'm proposing that when we think of suffering, a lot of times, in our, maybe just me, I don't even contemplate giving my life for Christ. I think at best, make being stupid, being, look stupid for Christ. These guys are talking about dying for the gospel. But guys... I propose that he's designed it for rebirth to, to clearly present to the world that Christ is king. Look at this. Notice Paul's talk about flesh. If you go back to your text there, go look in your Bibles. Notice what he does there. No, he talks about the afflictions of his body, right? And he, what he does is he, it, it seems that he wants us to, to, make a, to make a connection between, see, that's why it's not just theology. He wants us to make a connection between what actually happened in history at the cross what happened when our Savior was mutilated and murdered and what's happening to you and me as we become Christians? He's trying to make that point. That there seems to be some sense of merging there. There seems to be something there where he's saying just as he was mutilated and murdered and suffered for our sake, that it seems that there's something that he's doing in his life to be, as it were, as it were mutilated and murdered for the sake of others for the kingdom. God means for the people of God to offer the crucified Christ through their life. He wants us to offer a real Jesus because he's real and all of Jesus. And at the cross has to be paramount in that discussion. The suffering love of Christ for sinners, guys, is seen in the suffering love of his people for sinners. The way, the way we get to see, man, oh, wow, Christ did suffer is when the world sees the body suffering for those who don't know Jesus. If there, guys, the theology of suffering is sweet, and we know it, we're, you know, I know our crew, love our body, we read the Bible, you know it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just chucked full of the theology of suffering. And let's ask ourselves as we continually dialogue, why? Why is that? Why is it so all over the place in the Gospels, in the epistles, the sense of dying for Christ, modeling that to other people? We make Christ's suffering real through our suffering, particularly um, in Christ to creation, in offering Christ to creation. The way we offer Christ is when particularly, and I believe here he's even, we're going to get into some text here, he's talking about specifically the Gentiles who are now being able to realize that they can be part of the people of God as well. But man, we offer the suffering of Christ uh, when they see us remind them of the cross. I keep saying this, I'm saying this in different ways. I, want, I hope we are seeing like, wow, this is what the Lord is saying about. So what does that mean practically? We have to ask ourselves, right? You're already thinking like, what does that mean for me? See, the wheel's turning. We'll get there in a moment. 
Let's look at, look at some scriptures, though. Now, and guys, I just I kind of just threw like the Bible in the air and just said, "Wouldn't give me three scriptures because it's all over the place in the scriptures, right?" Let's just look at a couple. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That I may Philippians three, guys. That I may know Him in a power. These are verses we always quote, right? Well, look what they're saying. You tell them yourself when you quote these verses. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. See, we ain't got to argue about this at the bar. This is clear. Right? He's clear as day about what, it, what does it mean when you say, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Christ. The theology of suffering is assumed. It's absolutely assumed as a believer. And if you are finding yourself going through life, protecting yourself from suffering, or just happen to not ever experience suffering, well, well I'm, I'm ready for it. If it happens, you, don't, you still don't get the gospel. I'm proposing that God is saying there's something that's going wrong. There's something that we're not doing in our effective witness. If people are going, man, what? If something is, I'm not saying be a jerk for Jesus, right? Don't be a goofball. But I'm saying there's something about the redemptive witness of Christ where people of the world gets mad. Where something happens. People aren't just neutral. Guys, look what the scriptures say. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That I want to I walk with the Lord. And so, man, this is what the Lord has to me. Praise the Lord. <laughs> um, but we see him for a little while. Um, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. That's how. So, and it's interesting. It's so funny when you think of you think of Jesus. Think of the whole concept that Jesus conquers the world through suffering, and then he wants you just to live really happy and in, in a nice life. That don't even, that don't even sound right. Like it seems like he's, and then, wait, and especially if we understand in this body, I try to teach you the theology of recapitulation that God is basically through us retelling His story of redemption. If he's retelling his story of redemption, well, that's his story. His story is he got murdered. He was crucified. And that in crucifixion brought about victory. That's how the victory came. The implication is that without crucifixion, you can't have victory. That's the implied, that's the, that's the implication. So he says here, crown with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Um, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bring in many sons of glory, uh, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Man, just a couple. So do your own, you know, fact check me on that. Do your own study. Do your own study on this. The point here from those texts is gospel suffering is not the exception, guys. It is the rule. Uh, this is the way Christ wants his narrative to be taken to the world. I'm proposing that the Bible teaches, you're talking about you want to tell Jesus' story, you want to tell it. Well, I'm proposing it doesn't just start with theology and your, and your proclamation from your words. I'm proposing he wants you to tell his story through your life. And that the life of the believer, the way we tell that story, is a life of a suffering servant. And that people get to see the gospel through that. 
Can you imagine? Picture it, guys. Millions of believers, right? We're not playing popcorn candy church, but we are all like suffering for Christ. We're, we're walking with the Lord. We're experiencing Jesus. We're, we're, we're releasing sin. We're like, we're, we're, we're battling against our, our fleshy desires and we're serving people and they're dogging us, but we keep praying for each other and we're crying. And you don't tell me the world won't go, look at all those people. Look at how consistently they keep inviting us, keep caring for us, even though we keep dogging them. We do the corner store every week and we keep robbing them of their money and their stuff. And they still keep bringing this cheap food and stuff. When are they going to get it that they're getting taken? When are they going to get it? That's not a bad, that's a bad business decision. Well, I guess we'll keep using them. And then we fall in line with it and go, yeah, it, might, it, might, it should be a bad business. I guess we'll quit doing it. Unless you realize it must be something bigger than that. That we don't care about the money. That really we want people to know that God is here. And I'm okay if you laugh at us and think you're getting something. But what I want to show you are people who are committed to come out and serve and care for the community. No matter if it's rain, sleet, or snow. And try to provide for the community because we love our people. He says... That's the narrative he wants us to take, guys. Don't buy into the world, the the belief system that I want to buy into and what the world sells us, guys. That Christianity is just like the world. But then you just pop a little Jesus on there. Don't buy it. What does the world think about gospel suffering, guys? Hmm? They don't. Okay? They don't. Right. What, what, what are you taught from day one? I came from a, a house of unbelievers, but what are you even taught? If you came from a moral compass home where people didn't cuss you out, but they were really nice to you and provided you good schooling. What were you taught? The world tells us to do everything to minimize our pain and maximize our comfort. That's what you're taught. You're taught. The world tells us that in Christianity, right? In, in evangelical in America. No, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go to church, leave some Bible studies, you know, go to do an outreach or two, you know, get a little rough. Make sure you got a, a scrape on your arm or something when you see Jesus, you know, but, 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 but wait, 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 no, no, you are silly for putting yourself in harm's way on purpose. That's what the world tells you. That's what some of the families have told you. I know some of your personal testimonies. I want to encourage you. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, no, that's the world. They don't care. They don't get it. Maximize your comfort. Okay, how do I keep myself away from pain, keep my my children away from pain, and make sure I'm in an environment that's comfortable, and then I'll share the gospel. Then I'll be about the gospel. Yeah, God is good. Look at all this stuff. He's awesome. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm blessed. Look at all these kids. I got money. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. That means I can serve when I want to serve. I can be selfish when I want to be selfish. God's great. I love this guy. He reminds me of myself. Right? That's what the world has sold us. And you know, it breaks my heart. You know, I get, it breaks my heart. I see us buying it. We buy it in subtle ways. But you know, what's interesting about our body is it's hard to buy it here and not be exposed. Can I just keep it real for a minute? And so then we can start playing these games versus saying, what's with my heart? What's, what am I thinking? Where's my heart? And we want to do inventory check. But we want to blame shift. 
What did you do to me? Why you say that to me? Why you want me to do this? Why you, you don't think I'm about the gospel? What no, 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 no. You got to answer to Christ. Not to me. Not to anyone on this team. Not to any person in this body. You got to answer to Jesus. Is will you make your life count? Will you say, okay, I get the Jesus thing, but I still want all this stuff. Or will you say, Lord, I do want all these things. Do something in my heart where I see you as more joy than this stuff. That's what he has to do in my heart. I'm the first one among you to tell you I don't like serving and suffering for Jesus. But I'm asking God, and this is where I want our body to be. This is where I want to lead our body. I'm asking us to be okay with that articulation and then repent. And then place yourself in an environment where people can encourage you to choose Christ. So we don't want to suffer. Uh, the first one. Uh, is there a compulsion to sin, guys? Is there a compulsion? Is it where you go, oh, you know, I just wouldn't sin, but all this was making you sin. You know what it is? No one's putting a gun to your head to sin. No one's putting a gun in my head to sin. Let me tell you why we sin, guys. I know you go, oh, well, we're evil. I know I've, you, you should have good theology here. Yeah, you're evil. But let's peel that onion a little, onion a little bit. You know what compels us to sin? Is at the core of us, we all want to be happy. We all want joy, right? And then what we're really saying, whenever we sin, right? Whenever we find ourselves uh, hiding things and lying and, and you know, I mean, your sexual sin, your sexuality, uh, your professional sin in your jobs and education in your family. When we find ourselves sinning, what we're really saying, guys, whenever we do that, you get in an argument with somebody and you find yourself not wanting to repent. You find yourself arguing all this. And you're arguing, but you find yourself, no one's like really giving. You know what happens? What's happening in all those scenarios when we sin? Is we're saying at that moment, I think there's more happiness and joy in choosing that sin than choosing Christ. That's what we're saying. And that's why it hurts God's heart when we sin. Because whenever we sin, what we're doing is we're, we're hurting God's heart. We're reminding God that we trust something else. We're reminding the Lord, oh, really? Oh, so you're going to choose that because you don't trust me. Oh, there's no compulsion to sin. At the core of it is a big lie. Is that these things will meet my needs. We have a guy who fell from the faith. I hope he comes back. And he told a dear brother, he said, the reason why I'm going down this path is I just really don't believe Jesus satisfies my needs. I thought, you know, at least the brother honest. At least he's honest. How many of us feel like that? How many of us feel like at a core level, no one's around will say, does Jesus really satisfy my need? Because I feel kind of bummed out right now. I'm tired of being hurt. Do we think like the world? Is that our position, Macav? Is that where we're going, guys? Or will we we fight for joy? Will we fight for the world to see a clear expression of the gospel? Because they see our suffering and they see us keep coming back for more. 
I propose to you to make the gospel known without suffering seems not to make much sense to Paul and Jesus. If you were to talk to Paul and Jesus according to the scriptures and you read the Bible and fact check me on this, I propose if you were to come to them with some of this crap we talk about in America, they would look at you like, I thought you said you were going to talk to me about the gospel. Tell me when you, talk, tell me when you start talking. I'm going to go get some coffee. Tell me when you start talking about the gospel. Because you ain't talking about the gospel yet. Because I, I just heard it's all about you so far. I don't see you bleeding. I don't see you sacrificing. I don't see you staying in with the community of faith no matter what. and Fighting together. All I see is soon as something happens to you, you take your ball and you don't want to play no more. Look what he says, though. You hear all this stuff about suffering and dying and why don't you get killed and all this stuff. And we can start thinking, well, where's the joy in that? Where's the happiness in that? Right. But I want to be very clear here. That's not the biblical position. The biblical position is actually you maximize and you fulfill and gather great joy, the maximum joy through suffering for Christ. And say it again. The biblical position is that that's where your joy lies. That's where we finally actually experience the fullness of happiness, the fullness of joy. And you know what, guys? Y'all like, whatever, dude. I'm looking around here. Y'all like. And the reason why I know is because I think the same thing. I struggle, guys. I struggle like, man, Lord, are you really enough? Is, when am I going to have the happy days? They're sporadic. Let me tell you what God shows me. If you notice, Paul says, but now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. What well, makes somebody say this who understands and lives this lifestyle? You know, when he gives his resume, he talks about all the times he's been beaten and shipwrecked and left for dead and all the things that happened on the, in the water and all the feet and eating. Paul has been beat down continuously. And the man says right here in prison. Okay. He's in prison with a Praetorian guard. Y'all seen Gladiator. <laughs> right? Two guards guarding him, and every four hours they would change and get two new fresh guards. And he says, I rejoice in my sufferings. What makes that happen? Guys, because I think we mix up pain and joy. It's almost like we would say they can't exist at the same time. I propose, that's, I think that's the issue of my life. I'm proposing that the, the scriptures are teaching that the gospel is full of joy and it's very painful at the same time. I just dropped something. Oh, there it is. It's just camouflaging. Now, I say that because I look at my life and uh, I think of how much I'm just like, man, I, 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 want, I want this, I just want this, uh, this, I have this false sense of happiness. This, I, want, I want to be smiling. I want to, I want to just be able to, you know, just feel free. And, and, and I, I'm trying to picture, trying to have you in my heart for a moment of what I'm wanting. But all I can tell you is what God has been showing me as I read the scriptures and continue to dive in with Jesus is that Eric, my, my dearest, sweet son, the real issue is you have redefined joy. And 
you have more joy in all these other things than me. And because that's where your joy lies, that's why you're not seeking joy. You're not seeing joy in your life. And it seems like maybe, maybe Jesus wants to do something more in me than have me just do something for the community. Have you ever thought about that? You know, I talk to people a lot of times and they can almost talk to me as if the reason why I should go somewhere or not be here is because there's more return on investment, as it were, to go somewhere else. More people come to Christ or, you know, figure it out. And, and, and you know, I, you know, like a while ago, I wrote, you know, and I wrote a blog and you guys are very gracious in sharing how some parts of it were sarcastic and everything. But it's interesting. Um, I feel like in that blog, my heart was like, I feel like the other story never gets told. And like the, the story never gets told about the person who actually uh, chooses to stay in a place, totally doesn't like it. They're there for 40 years. Uh, they're struggling with all kinds of stuff in their family, <laughs> in all situations. And no one comes to Christ. But throughout those years, they actually start to see God do something in their heart as far as their selfishness. And throughout those 40 years, they start to see uh, their heart not be so focused on the stuff they have. And throughout the 40 years, they start to realize that they can hold their kids loosely and God is in control. And throughout the 40 years, they start to actually befriend people and it's not a hustle, but they really try to learn how to love people. And throughout the 40 years, they end up dying and not a lot of output, but they're more like Jesus. The question I would have is, was that a life wasted? As to continually share their faith, but nothing really came about. But at the end, there's a person who experienced their position during their condition. I wonder. I would say it's not wasteful. Many of us probably would say, go somewhere where you're more productive, where you're more happy. I just don't see a lot of biblical framework there. Christ chose suffering, guys. It didn't just happen to him. The Bible does not say, well, I will have a happy life. And if I get beat up, okay. But I'll make sure I put myself in scenarios and situations where the likelihood of that will go down a great percentile. It seems to me that the Bible is very clear that Christ did. And that's why he says terminology. Think of when you read the Bible. He says, and with joy, right? He, he, it's, 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 it's the sense of like, I, I endured the cross. Like I, I went for it. Boom. It's not the sense like I was really hiding from the cross and then they kept chasing me with it. It's like, no, I went because I knew what it would do for creation. Hey, remember guys, what are we called to do? We tell his story. Well, that's his story, guys. Take up our cross. We talk about that. That's what that means. That's what that means. Um, so that verse, God is saying he wants us to clearly show the gospel, um, the suffering, the pain, actually through our lives. And what that does is that beelines people to the big cross when they see our little cross accurately. Now, he continues on, just to, just to make sure we're faithful with the text. He says, of which I became a minister. 
of and became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So he's like, man, I endured these afflictions and and kind of the reason why, uh, like I realized there was a stewardship issue. I realized when I became a believer, there is now this stewardship, this missional like stamp on me. Boom. And so now I feel like I have the stewardship where I became a minister of the gospel uh, from God that was given to me for you. I got this good news that I need to be sharing. I love this. It's Paul talking, but man, isn't this one of those scenarios where it's like he's that Paul's talking about his journey, but there seems to be not an exclusivity, but an inclusivity for the people of God. Like we can all be in this narrative. Or did he just say this to Paul? Look, he says to make the word of God fully known. So this is what he, he says, man, I, my heart now, I have, I feel like I have a stewardship to make the word of God fully known. The way I do that is by retelling God's story, by being a suffering servant. Well, Paul's spreading of God's word is the stewardship issue that he's fulfilling. That's what's going on here. He's saying, I am taking on this suffering servant because there's a stewardship here. And I'm fulfilling that call. Well, we talk call a lot, I think in very bad ways. But this is call. What's the call? Is when he appoints you a believer. I propose that's the biblical definition of call. Not all this other stuff. God called me to the bank today and all this stuff. But no, you're called as a believer. And now you live life in light of that. Okay, so, and then every once in a while he gives these, and then I feel like, I feel like those specific calls are things you see when you look back. You go, man, I'm doing this now. It seems like God called me here. But that's another theological discussion, so we'll keep moving. Okay, so he says, I'm fulfilling this stewardship issue. I bring that up, guys, because I'm saying everyone in this room, guys, that's what the Lord has done. He's rebirthed us. He's placed that stamp on us. And he said, now I just want you to have that passion of retelling that story from the youngest to the oldest. Even in school, Hadiyah, telling that story to people. That you're a suffering servant for Christ. What is Paul teaching? So, okay, that's what he's doing. So what is he teaching? He's a stewardship. He's, he's living a suffering servant. He's having these afflictions. They're now, he, he can clearly show Christ through his afflictions. Here's why he's doing because he's a steward. Well, well, what is he actually teaching? Well, it says here, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, right? Uh, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, it's a mystery, right? Now, when we hear mystery, we think a lot, or I think a lot about something that I can't know. That's not how the Bible, the Bible discusses this mystery in a sense because it is hidden for ages and now has been revealed to the saints. So it's not simply you can't know it, but it's that it's simply you, you didn't know it and now God is going to reveal it. And so what he does and what is he revealing specifically, I don't know if I put it in here or not. Um, you can see this also in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, verse 6. And as Paul makes it his aim to tell everyone that all can have uh, God who hope in Christ, specifically because he's talking here uh, about these Gentiles, right? So he's like, man, that, that's, that's what the mystery was, that we didn't know that a Jewish savior would be the savior of the world and usher all people in to his glory through Jesus. And so he's saying, that's the hope that he's in that, that I'm, I'm blown away that the mystery has been revealed that Christ can be in you. That Christ is in all of us, all of those who say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, I want to retell your story. I want to suffer for you. He said, that's my child. And he does it to all who's willing to beckon that reality. So that's what he's teaching here, the clarity of the gospel. Well, he continues on. He says, in him we proclaim warning to Christ in you. In him, 
We proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so that's what I'm teaching. I'm teaching the gospel. So you see, uh, we, I'm, I'm carrying these afflictions. Why? Because there's a stewardship in me that I'm supposed to proclaim the gospel. Uh, specifically, what am I proclaiming? I'm proclaiming that Christ is king, and he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of the whole universe. And here, guess what I'm doing? I'm making, here's my aim. Here's why I'm doing all that. It's because I want everyone. I want to teach. I want to admonish. I'm, so I'm teaching believers who God is and what they what he need to be about. And I'm admonishing those who don't know Jesus. I'm saying, hey, you better get right because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is king, right? I'm, I'm, war- I'm sorry, I'm warning. And there's something that says admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that everyone might be mature in Christ, might experience this, this beauty, this, this, uh, this great opportunity to retell the story. In essence, he's like, my aim in 28, and I'm going to 29, Paul says, this is where my energy goes, right? Uh, what's his purpose? He may present everyone mature in Christ. We see that here. And so I'm proposing, if you get to, uh, let me just read the last, the last verse here. For this I toil, struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. I'm proposing that in verse 28 and 29, when you see those verses, that he is beelining all the way back up to 24. So he's basically saying this. I am, I am working for Jesus. And in my heart, I'm realizing that I'm completing something that Christ given me the opportunity to complete. And that is to suffer for Christ, to be the cross of people so people can see the cross in me and then realize the cross in Christ. And then I do that because I have this great stewardship that God has called me to. And so I want to make sure that people understand uh, what God is about. And then now God has not only given me the stewardship, but here's what I'm teaching. I'm realizing the stewardship that he's given me is to make sure that everyone gets that the God of the Jews is actually the God of the whole world. And that's my aim. My aim is for every person to be mature in Christ, that they will get that, that I could, I could tell unbelievers the reality. I can encourage believers to that reality. And then hopefully everyone becomes mature in Christ, which mature in Christ being that they will retell Jesus story well, full circle. What does it mean to be mature in Christ? That you are a gospel teller in all of his clarity. That's my energy. Verse 29. That's my heart. That's my life. That's what I've given my whole life to, to make sure that the story that Christ has birthed in me gets told clearly through me. And then I train others to tell Christ's story well, clearly through themselves. 